0: Slice audio. Welcome to Doc Talk, a weekly podcast featuring Monument Health physicians addressing medical topics. Tune in to your health with Monument Health. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Doc Talk with Monument Health. My name is Mark Houston, and joining me today is Dr. Daniel Wright, a radiation oncologist and a national expert on brachytherapy. How did I do?
1: Did great, Mark. And I, <laughs> Perfect. Now, I appreciate the opportunity to spend some time with the audience, especially with the the public and the patients talking about prostate cancer. And obviously, half your population is male, so that's right. something that we start to worry about once we hit 50 or 60. And I just hit 60, so I, just, I need to really start worrying <laughs> about this stuff.
0: Well, and, it, and, and like you said, it's this is something that uh, – that, that, that men were all too familiar with if, you know, you go to the doctor, right? It's it's one of the things that you should have done during your yearly physical, correct? Um, but I don't know if a lot of guys, when they have this procedure done, they go to their their, their general doctor, they really ask a, enough questions sometimes. What, basically, when we start this, doctor, what is the prostate and what, what's it for?
1: You know, I would say, you know, when you're younger, probably a, a main function is sexual function, reproduction. Once you're done having kids, you could argue that, okay, what's the point of you having a prostate anymore? Because all it's going to do is cause you problems. Sure. But even after you're done being a parent to father, you're never done being a parent. But it does, um, you know, it's vital in sexual function. Mm-hmm. It can become problematic for more, most, more, more commonly benign reasons as it starts to enlarge and guys start to have urinary symptoms. Um, but after a certain point, um, once you're done reproducing, other than sexual function, it's probably not a huge role. Um, obviously, with the the GU male anatomy, um, still having production of testosterone is important for bone health, cardiac health, and, and so they kind of go one together. I don't want to say it's a useless organ after fifty, but it does start to cause some problems. Sure, then,
0: that would be that. That was going to be my next question. Yeah, I mean, why 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 not just yeah, you hit 50, 52 go in, take it out. What's the point? You know, it, but it, but it does also seem to be. Uh, and we'll get into prostate cancer here a little bit, which is kind of your specialty. Uh, it is—it's a pretty slow-moving cancer,
1: isn't it? Right. So you'll often hear guys. I've even heard doctors and the physicians and the doctors' lounge say, "Well, if you get prostate cancer, it's not a big big deal. You may die with it, but not from it." Well, that's not exactly true because in the U.S., it's the second leading cause of cancer deaths in males. And so, although for many patients, and we'll talk about you know, should you get screened? If you're diagnosed, do you even need treatment? If you seek treatment, you know, what are the options out there? So I wouldn't say it's, I don't want to say skin cancer is benign and melanoma is obviously not benign, but this isn't like a benign skin cancer. It can become more aggressive. And we've seen in the last five to 10 years, because of lack of screening from 2012 to 2017, based on some recommendations that primary care physicians, a lot of them quit screening for prostate cancer with the blood test called the PSA. Now we're seeing guys with more aggressive prostate cancer. So it's it's a bit of a fallacy that, you know, you may die with it, but not from it. Now, there's some truth to that because not everybody needs treatment, but really the goal of treating prostate cancer, if indicated, is to... Decrease the likelihood that's going to spread into the bones and shorten their lives. Now, guys can live a number of years with cancer that spread, but preferably you like to be able to treat and prevent that because there are costs and side effects of having a gentleman with metastatic prostate cancer that's receiving anti-hormonal therapy and chemotherapy. So if patients are diagnosed and, you know, right now the current screening recommendations are basically if you're between 55 and 70... and you're relatively healthy, there should at least be a discussion with your primary care provider of having a PSA checked, which stands for Prostatic Specific Antigen, and it's a blood test.
0: Well, and that's, uh, I know for the the past decade or even a little bit longer, there was some controversy with that PSA test, wasn't there?
1: Yeah, absolutely. In 2012, it's called the U.S. Preventative Task Force. They recommended against all screening for everybody, which I thought was crazy, because even back then, like, well, I'm seeing guys with curable prostate cancer. And so we went and in there in part of that recommendation was based on that we were over overdiagnosing and over treating prostate cancer. And so there are side effects for treating prostate cancer and there are side effects from a prostate biopsy. But now you fast forward during this time era when there was a lack of screening and then they started to screen again. You know, one of the things we'll talk about is how aggressive is a prostate cancer. It's based on their Gleason score, but we see patients now with higher gl- grades of cancer. And whereas in the past you would say oh, you don't need to do anything about it, now we're like, okay, now we really need to throw the kitchen sink at this to maybe cure them.
0: Is it is it a is it a cancer that's becoming? Is it be, um, this, Maybe this isn't the right question to ask. But is it a cancer that's becoming more aggressive? Is it becoming more? I don't uh, think it's
1: getting more aggressive. Probably? I just think that there was a lack of screening. I mean, okay. it takes years for someone to develop prostate cancer. And, and I mean it's two thirds of the patient with pro- two thirds of the patients who are diagnosed with prostate cancer are over sixty. So this is not a cancer of, of young males. Having said that, African Americans and if you have a, a positive family history of prostate cancer. So if your dad had prostate cancer in your fifties his fifties, you should probably, you should start getting your PSA checked probably by the time you're 45 or 50. I got it. So there's what, a family history that that can predispose you to this.
0: Well, what are some of the what are uh, outside of that? Uh, I mean, that's great to know, and that's I think that's one of the, the best pieces of advice is for prostate cancer is to check your family history. Um, what are what are some of the other symptoms that can that you can recognize uh, without being in a doctor
1: that might lead you to believe mm, maybe. Yeah, so the truth is most of the patients with curable prostate cancer have no symptoms. Mm-hmm. It's almost like women with early-stage breast cancer who have a mammogram. By the time someone has symptoms oh. such as weight loss, back pain, you know, it's already metastatic. Mm-hmm. Um, so majority of patients we see... Now, they may have some benign urinary complaints, and they check their PSA. It happens to be elevated, and that leads to the cancer diagnosis. But I would say for the majority of men with newly diagnosed prostate cancer, there are no symptoms.
0: Can uh, can there be other uh, prostate issues that would look
1: similar but wouldn't be cancer? So that's one of the criticisms of PSA screening is that you know, a bladder infection, prostatitis, actually having intercourse before you get your PSA check that can cause an elevation of your PSA. So it also should be accompanied by, guys are going to hate this, having a digital rectal exam. <laughs> sure. You know, get out the gloves. Nobody likes that. But women have no sympathy because they've had to go right, through this exactly. forever. But so the PSA is, you know, always accompanied with doing a rectal exam, which most of the time is normal, but if they mm-hmm. feel a nodule, then that would be even more evidence to do a biopsy.
0: So once uh, it's probably been determined that maybe cancer uh, is what you have, then what what are the options for it? Okay. Um, and, and I know I'm, I'm excited to get into the
1: brachytherapies part of this. Sure. But what are some other options before that? Yeah. And so... So, a guy typical, pretend like you're a patient, how I yes, talk to absolutely. people. To make it, make it more understandable, not talking too many multi words. <laughs> so, how we, so we, people think about staging a cancer one, two, three, and mm-hmm. four. For prostate cancer, we divide it kind of into three categories low risk, intermediate risk, and high risk. That doesn't mean you have an intermediate risk of getting prostate cancer, it means your cancer is a little more aggressive. So, that's based upon your PSA, that's the blood test. The rectal exam, which really isn't that sensitive, and your Gleason score. So, for example, a lot of guys that we see, if they're you know 60 year old, hey, I want to get my PSA checked. PSA is above three, let's say, or it's four or five. They obtain a biopsy and they show, and they will determine how many cores were positive. So, if somebody who has low risk prostate cancer, this would be the category of PSA less than 10 normal rectal exam, or they might feel a nodule and a Gleason score or six or less, especially involving only a few cores, the number one recommendation is active surveillance. So they're, they're not even recommending treatment on those guys. They're recommending a PSA every six months and a repeat r- prostate biopsy in a year. Triggers to treat those patients are typically if they at least fall in the category of intermediate risk. So that would mean PSA between 10 and 20, Gleason score of 7 and above and also based on their physical exam. The other thing that now comes into screening and, and doing a biopsy is an MRI. So an MRI can be very helpful and the radiologist here and this more technical stuff, but they have a T3 MRI because a lot of times when the urologists do a biopsy, it's through the rectum because everyone's really excited about that. (laughs) Um, but they can miss a lesion in the upper part of the prostate. So an MRI is often done as part of screening and, um, management. So getting into management. So and then that, and so one of, one of my take-home messages is, I mean, the, the drivers of all this are the urologists. They're the ones that do the biopsy. They counsel the patients and to, so if we are of the opinion that they meet the criteria for treatment. So for another word, a guy comes in his 80s, had a heart attack, he has early-stage prostate cancer, he's not going to live long enough for the cancer to affect his life. Um, so that's why these screening recommendations are kind of targeting 55 to 70. But then you talk to a rancher that's 80 and his dad lived to be 100 and he's working 60 hours a week. Well, I mean, the, age is relative. Sure. So, get, so getting into treatment. So. If it's decided that, you know, we should consider treating you in, you know, high level views, the whole goal of treatment, whether it's surgical or removal or some type of radiation, is to prevent it from getting into the bloodstream and showing up on the bones. Because when prostate cancer spreads or metastasizes, it either goes to the bone or the adjacent lymph nodes. So you'd prefer so the, the sweet spot is is you're diagnosing someone who's early enough stage where it's very curable. You know, if you're really, really early stage, and I know there's patients listening that do active surveillance, which is very appropriate, then you get into, well, how should we manage this? So the two general categories would be surgery or radiation. And they both have their advantages mm-hmm. and both have disadvantages. And, and uh, one of the urologists so I used to work with, Dr. Gerald Butts, whose son is an anesthesiologist, John, i to call, start calling out people, but John used, <laughs> Gerald used to say, you know, the truth is, a lot of these options produce equivalent outcomes, but they have different side effect profiles. And he also would tell patients the truth is things aren't going to be quite the same as they used to be, but we try to get them as close as possible.
0: Why Why does this cancer move so slow? I know this is a little off the, yeah. the no, subject, it's a good but, question. but why, why is it?
1: In, in general, you know, if you take this may not seem well it's kind of related if you look at early stage breast cancer or really early stage cervical cancer it takes years to develop a cancer because it just one cell doesn't go to you know a cancer the size of a golf ball within a year it takes a long time but prostate cancer majority of the time is relatively slowly growing okay but that gets into treatment as well if you We're on active surveillance and your PSA goes up from 5 to 10 in a a year. Well, that's an indication that cancer is probably getting a little more aggressive. But but in general, it is a slow-growing cancer. But now that we're diagnosing patients later in their life Mm than they could have been diagnosed earlier yes are having more aggressive prostate cancer but i think that's due to a lack of screening in the from 2010 to 2020.
0: got it uh now i know one thing i i think you're going to be you are excited to talk about is is uh, brachytherapy right uh, which is another uh, big part of this and i uh, had very limited knowledge about this when i knew we were going to be talking to you doctor so i started to look at some pictures of how this procedure works right and it's fascinating It really is. And this is a radiation-based procedure, correct? And we have the only one, I believe, in South Dakota here at Monument, So
1: currently in Rapid City, we're the only site that offers prostate brachytherapy. Okay. So we'll get into that in just a moment, but just pretending that you're my patient, you have prostate cancer, I know you don't. So, (laughs) So two big options, surgery or radiation. Right. Both have pros and cons. In the radiation world, there's daily radiation, Monday through Friday, for either six to eight weeks. And... The technical term is called IMRT, which stands for Intensity Modulated Radiation Therapy. You say that to a patient, their eyes gloss over. But basically what it means is that we can sculpt the radiation more precisely. But it takes six to eight weeks to do this. Wow. And so for a lot of our guys, you know, live an hour, two, three hours from here, like, you know, I just, I can't do that. So what else do you have for me? So. Prostate brachytherapy or internal radiation or seeds. Um, this has really been around since the late 70s. It's been, um, it's been refined over the years. But this isn't for guys who are candidates. That uh, would have been my question. What what is a candidate? A good yeah, candidate? For good candidate, candidate. Intermediate. Good, good candidate would be the intermediate risk patient who has okay. good bladder function. Because mm-hmm. if he has an so a, an ideal surgical patient would be. You know, make sure I'm taking care of my surgical friends out there. Is that you know, a guy who has poor bladder function because his prostate is enlarged, and he has cancer? Really, don't want to radiate that guy. You'd rather have the the tumor removed. He'll have bladder fun- better bladder mm-hmm. function. He'll be much happier. If we had to come in with daily radiation, and mop up things, we can. But let's just take your proverbial 60-year-old guy, I'll make it 65 since I'm 60, <laughs> has good bladder function, he has intermediate risk prostate cancer, he has good sexual function, you know, what should he do? Um, those are patients that are perfect candidates for a seed implant. So it's a one-hour procedure. We take him to the operating room like I'm going to do with the gentleman in about mm-hmm. 48 hours. So put an <laughs> ultrasound probe in the prostate, and then we put a grid or a template over the ultrasound probe, and it's alphanumeric, and then under ultrasound guidance, I place the needle and it goes into the perineum. So it's that space between the scrotum, and the anus. Sorry, I talk about anatomy here. I feel like Blake from a mash, you know, and get, right, off the, get, not... get off get out those posters like, okay, where's this thing located? So and then under ultrasound guidance, it's a little bit like that old game battleship, but big A B on the grid corresponds to or big A3 on the ultrasound grid. So I've got an ultrasound screen here, I've got a grid here and they're linked. And so under ultrasound guidance, I'm placing a needle through the template, through the perineum, to the top of the prostate under ultrasound guidance. And then when I take out the needle, a strand of about three seeds comes out, two to three seeds. So we then implant the prostate from left to right, top to bottom. We need to get a seed in about every seven to 10 millimeters. Um, and then when they wake up, they don't, they don't have a catheter in, in the bladder. Um, they're radioactive for about six months. I was going to say
0: those seeds are radioactive seeds. So these
1: these are radioactive seeds, typically I-125, and they have a half-life of 60 days. So over a six-month period of time, they emit the radiation. And so that radiation is concentrated right into the prostate. Uh, There are some precautions. We basically tell guys that you should keep an arm's distance from little kids Mm -hmm. and pregnant women for about two months. But there's very little dose of radiation that anyone receives. Right, Uh, Their spouse can sleep next to them. They're not going to get any radiation. The main short-term side effect from this is urinary, irritative symptoms for a month or two. But that's why you want to be selective in who you offer this to because if a guy has poor bladder function because his prostate's enlarged, this isn't a good option for him.
0: Boy, Um, that the it's, it's, it's amazing how it's done for starters and amazing that it can be done in that short amount of time.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's literally a 45 minute procedure and they do have to do a planning session a month before. And and I can always see their eyes start to open up. So a planning (laughs) session is I first talk to you and they, you know, I take them to my office, I show them pictures, I give them handouts because it's really up to them how they want to be treated. But the next step to do this is a volume study. So they come in, we don't give them any sedation, put their legs up in stirrups, put the ultrasound probe in the rectum, take pictures of the prostate from top to bottom, takes 10 to 15 minutes, mm-hmm. and that's it. Then the physicist determines how many seeds to order.
0: Oh, okay. I see. So, so it's 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 very specific. It's very specific. Yeah.
1: And, and so that's called low-dose rate brachytherapy because the dose delivery is at a slow rate over six months. And then... At some point, when you talk about this with guys with high-risk prostate cancer, they receive a different type of prostate brachytherapy called high-dose rate, and we just started doing that again in the last two years. But we we should stay on this topic for now, and then we can transition to that one.
0: Sure. Is uh, can this be used for any other type of? Yeah. So I'm
1: by training, I'm a brachytherapist. Mm -hmm. I'm originally from South Dakota, and went to Augie, then USD, then I. Went to Badgerland out of Madison, Wisconsin. (laughs) You know, I kind of want to get back home. So part of the goal coming back here was to offer these services because it wasn't being done here Mm -hmm. when I moved here in 99. Um, But so my initial area of research and interest is in GYN cancers. So in the world of cervical cancer, and arguably we should never see advanced cervical cancer because there's a good screening test. Mm -hmm. But if those women don't receive brachytherapy, they're not going to be cured. They have to have it. So, really? Yep. Yeah, yeah. And it, it tends to happen to women that don't get screened that maybe, you know, I mean, the truth is a, a lot of our advanced cervical cancer patients, you know, come from tribal communities. And so there's efforts that we have ongoing within what this group called Walking Forward to help promote screening. But the, the short answer is... For gyn cancers, it's life-saving. If women don't have brachytherapy, who aren't surgical candidates or cervical cancer, we can talk about that next time. Yeah, they have to have brachytherapy, and so the way we've done it here, it's very involved. But it requires we do what's called MRI-guided brachytherapy, and with a with a collaboration with anesthesia radiology, we've been able to pull this off. But so it's it's definitely critical. In, in the management of the gynecologic cancers. Oh,
0: well, this is this has been just totally fascinating, uh, Doctor Peter Wright. Um, and I we're going to have to have you back again to get uh, into some more of these, uh, the the more of this breaky therapy stuff specifically because this is, uh, you know, and patients aren't hearing about it.
1: Right. And, and so, right. for rural populations, and we're rural here. Yeah. You know, for in, in this includes a lot of America. If, if guys live a couple hours away from the cancer center and surgery is a good option for a lot of patients. So I'll put that on the table, but if they don't, if they decline a non-surgical approach and they only have access to daily radiation for two months, that is really inconvenient. And the truth is the cure rates are just as high with seed implants or prostate brachytherapy compared to all other approaches and in some situations, the cure rates are a little bit higher. Well, I know you've had
0: uh, you've you've literally had patients. uh, I believe we were talking just a little before this that have that have uh, that have fallen out of the sky to see you, doctor. Yes. Um, Would you care to elaborate on that a little bit? So interesting story. So
1: so I like to fish. This was great. Down at Angostura, must July second. I wanted to get up early and go fishing and. I wake up and get out of the cabin, and the sun is just blinding, and I can hardly see. And I hear this massive swooshing sound, and I look up, and there's this hot air balloon about ready to crash into where we were staying. Hey, hey, you guys, okay? Is everything all right? I say, yeah, yeah, we just saw this area is really flat. We'd like to land there, so that's fine. And. So they landed and they had a family with them from Florida and they were kind of freaked out about how friendly people are in South Dakota. Like, yeah, sure. Land them where I'm staying. I don't care. <laughs> so I go down there and say hi to them. And the family from Florida, I think, so freaked out. Like, OK, well, isn't, don't you guys have a lot of guns out here? Like, don't worry. We're all friendly. <laughs> right. And so the guy comes and picks him up in his truck and he looks at me. and He goes, you're Dr. Peterite." Right? you put seeds in my prostate 10 years ago, and now I'm doing great. So I relay this story to my nurse, and she goes, you know, wherever you go, you're picking up patients. I said, you know, it's not intentional. I just I can't help it. He dropped out of the sky. But it was kind of a, a fun and fascinating story, that the gentleman that we did this on 10 years ago, you know, just literally drops out of the sky on that's, July 2nd. That's
0: amazing. Uh, well, it's been, it's been a lot of fun talking with you, uh, Dr. Peter Wright, radiation oncologist at Bonnyman Health. Uh, national expert on brachytherapy, and we're going to have you back to dive into this a little deeper. I think at some point, okay?
1: That would be great because a lot of other issues. would like to talk about high dose rate brachytherapy and patient access, and some national initiatives that we're actually leading from Rapid City. But now appreciate the time, and I had notes to talk to you for three hours, but <laughs> well, you know, well, you know,
0: that's the thing. I've I've come across a, a good handful of doctors now from Monument, and what what I'm I'm finding out to almost every single one of you, is the unbelievable passion you have for what you do all of you and and you you all have almost said to the same talk to the same you know i could i could talk for hours about this and that's that's what we want in our medical right. community and in our doctors and it's it's so it's so uh, heartwarming i guess to know that you exist here in our town
1: well i appreciate the opportunity to share a part of the story and i'm happy to come back so just let me know
0: we will thank you very much thank you Doc Talk with Monument Health is recorded live at Homeslice Studios, hosted by Mark Houston, edited by Russ Hatton, engineered by Chris Jaquis, and produced by Kelsey Kinney
1: and Rob Henry.